Just a couple other notes. Uh, I forgot to say, this Saturday is men's breakfast. And so if you haven't signed up, we've got a lot of spaces left here. And then uh, one other thing. If you were going to go to Turkey and you wanted to really be able to connect with people, what would be an easy way to do it? Do you have any idea? A sock puppet. No joke. Uh, you want to connect with people? You got to get them at their level, right? And so there are six covenant-made sock puppets in Turkey today. <laughs> two for Ajalon, two for Bryson, two for Travis. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can look at it together. We uh, confess, Lord, that we're needy. We won't be able to make any sense out of what you have to say. We won't see how that will lead us to be more like Jesus. We won't be able to understand it unless you open our eyes by your Holy Spirit. And that's what we're asking for now. Please look at, at us and look upon us in our weakness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We try to make birthdays special. Uh, up on the mantle, uh, above the fireplace, a increasingly ragtag piece of plastic that said, Happy Birthday on it. And uh, then homemade cards and a special birthday meal for whoever the person happened to be and cake and of course ice cream and then we'd blow out the candles and sing happy birthday uh, and there'd be a few presents afterwards. Those were ways of saying to people in our family, you're important to us. We're glad the Lord has made you part of this little group. The Bible tells us about what's been described as the birthday of the church and we just read about it a few moments ago. Unlike our modest family celebrations, this birthday was an extravagant affair and one that addresses the deepest needs of God's people. As followers of Christ, don't we all need power to faithfully follow along the path he's given us? And uh, how often do we sigh with the Apostle Paul when we think about our weakness? I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? And then Paul says this hopeful word. He says, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. Well, today our topic is about the power of Pentecost. We're looking at the verses we just read, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. If you can turn to them. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Now, they come to us in two sections. The first is a rather short description of the coming of the Holy Spirit to the church. And then the rest is a uh, section in which we learn about the impact. And we're going to look at those two different topics. The coming of the Spirit 
and his impact. The coming is described in verses 1 through 4, if you can look at them. Uh, Acts begins with these words. The first book I wrote, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until he was taken up. And the inference is, now in this book of Acts, from which we just read, I'm going, to I'm going to tell you what Jesus continues to do now that he is the ascended Lord. Before his ascension, Jesus gives the church his promises and his marching orders. And he says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And then from heaven, Jesus reconstitutes the 12 disciples. He replaces Judas with Matthias. And that brings us to the verses that we just read, which begin with these notable words, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were together in one place. Pentecost, what's it mean? It's a Greek term, means 50, or 50th day. That'd be another way to understand it. And Pentecost came on the Hebrew calendar 50 days after Passover. Passover, Pentecost. Now you remember Passover. Uh, the 10th plague in Egypt, it's going to be the plague of death. And so the Lord says to his people, take a lamb, slaughter it, take blood, sprinkle it on the side posts and on the lentil. And when the angel of death passes over, you will be spared. Not so for the Egyptians who were not covered by the blood of the lamb. When the angel of death passed over them, the firstborn in each home died. So they had no protection, and in their agony, they command Israel to leave their land, and the Lord institutes Passover as an annual celebration to remember God has delivered you. So here in Acts chapter 2, what we have is a description of Jews from all around the area, from as far to the west as Crete and as far to the east as Iran, Iraq, from as far north as probably southern Turkey and as far south as North Africa. All of them now are gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, has been put to death just a few days before. He is the sacrificed Passover lamb. God raises him from the dead, and for 40 days he's going around showing the disciples the truth of his resurrection. And now it's the 50th day. Pentecost not only means 50th day, it is also a word for the Feast of Weeks. What was that? It was something like Thanksgiving. It was time when Jewish believers brought in the harvest. And so Passover comes along, 
God delivers his people from slavery. That's fulfilled in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Jesus is the new Passover lamb, and now it's Pentecost, 50 days later, the celebration of the Feast of Weeks. Jesus is not only our Savior, he's also our provider. And on this day, Christ's disciples, all 120 of them, are now gathered in the upper room waiting for Jesus to send the promise the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens? Well, look at your Bible. There are three distinct things that take place here at Pentecost. First of all, they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It fills the whole house. Ever been on the edge of a tornado or in the middle of one? You hear the sound. I mean, it's a little unnerving. They see, as it were, tongues of fire that are on top of the heads of those disciples. And the third thing, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in languages other than their normal language. Now that's a very brief description. Luke only spends a third of his time in this section on that description. And obviously, because he spends two-thirds in the, in the rest of it, he wants us to focus our attention there once we understand the events of Pentecost. What do we see so far in just those few short verses? Well, first of all, Jesus keeps his word. He promised he would send the Spirit. He does send the Spirit. Next, the Spirit comes in Power, as indicated by the sound of this mighty rushing wind. Next, the spirit who comes is a spirit of purity marked by the flame of fire. The spirit also comes revealing the will of God as indicated by the languages that the spirit gives to the disciples through which they can communicate to the crowd that's surrounding them. And then one other point. The Spirit who comes at Pentecost is the Lord. He's sovereign. In this, the disciples are just waiting. They are passive. It's nothing about their religious activity that now brings the Spirit to them. It's not because of some choice on their part that they're able to speak a language they'd never studied. The Spirit comes in this moment and he gives languages, we're told, look at verse 4, he gives languages of his choosing as he wants to do it. In other words, this is a picture of God's sovereign movement in the early church. Now, that's a picture just of the coming of the Spirit. We want to move on now and think about his impact, and that's what the rest of the section is, to which the rest of the section is devoted. What's the impact? Well, it's verses 5 through 13. First of all, who is touched by the coming of the Spirit? Jerusalem is bustling at this point with thousands of visitors. Verse 5 tells us, 
Those, among those were devout, that is, God-fearing, pious, careful, religious practitioners, men from every nation under heaven. Why would that be an important detail? For at least two reasons. God's saving work is to the ends of the earth. And uh, he's already said to his disciples, I want you to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. That's one of the reasons. There's another reason that I hope you get. As all these people are gathered now in Jerusalem to hear the wonderful things about the Lord, it's a reversal of what? Tower of Babel, exactly. Remember back in the Old Testament? People are going to make a big name for themselves. They're going to build the tower to God. He comes down and he scatters them by confusing their language. Now, how do these Jerusalem visitors react? Look at verse 6. They are bewildered, we're told, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Ever use a Google Translator? You know, you're trying to figure out what's this word, and so you put it in and you hit the button? Except this was better. The Lord anticipates Google Translators 2,000 years ago, but it's better than a Google Translator. How come? Because as the Galileans speak, they hear in their own language. It's almost like having a puppet that you could use to talk to a kid. He can get it in ways that speaking adult language never communicates. And so, what are these people saying now that are touched by these languages they're miraculously hearing? Look at verses 7 and following. They say, first of all, are not all these Galileans? In other words, how is it possible that these people can speak our language? And then, verse 8, how is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue? How can that be? And then verses 9 to 11, then they give the list of the groups of people and the religious backgrounds from which this, of which this crowd is composed. Uh, the geographic, uh, we might say perhaps ethnic linguistic groups are named there. I won't read them all, but you see them. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Cyrene, Rome, Cretans, Arabians, and their religious backgrounds. We're also told, verse 11, they're both Jews and proselytes, that is, people who wanted to be Jews, but they were Gentiles. They had committed themselves to following a Jewish way of living. And what are they hearing? Well, look at verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We want to just back off from this a little bit and ask ourselves the question, what might be some of Luke's possible reasons for including this 
narrative in his book. Can you think of any? Why would he include them? He didn't have to do that. Takes up two-thirds of this little, uh, this little section. Well, let me suggest some. Actually, let me suggest five. He's writing to Theophilus, who, as best we can tell, is a Gentile baby Christian. And he's giving Theophilus instruction. So he begins to answer questions about how Jesus goes about keeping his promises. Now, what will that do? What will that instruction do for Theophilus? It'll build his confidence in his newfound faith. In effect, Luke is saying to him, I think something like this, brother, you can serve the Lord because you're not alone. Jesus has given you his Holy Spirit to be with you every step of the way. Whatever may come your way, be it trial or temptation, you are not alone. It would also give Theophilus hope as he thinks about the future of being linked to Christians. Luke is in effect saying, Theophilus, look, look what the Lord has done in a totally unexpected way. He first of all brings thousands, and we know thousands. How do we know? Look at verse 41. Uh, he brings thousands of, proselyte, uh, thousands of Jews and proselytes to Jerusalem at this particular point in time. In a matter of moments, he makes his small emerging church of 120 people powerful witnesses. And it's done in just the same, it starts here in Jerusalem, but he has promised that this same kind of movement is going to take place to the ends of the earth. Next, the Holy Spirit who inspired these words and who came at Pentecost intends them to have the same kind of effect on readers after Theophilus, like you and me. He intends these words for our encouragement that we, through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now, we've just seen this little video clip that Ajuan and Travis and Bryson put together for us. Those guys left here Thursday afternoon. They are in one of the world's most needy countries by anybody's estimation who studies Christian things. And we asked the question, what can we hope that they, three guys from a little church, what can they do in a big, needy place like that? And the point of the whole Bible, and the point of Acts, and the point of Pentecost, at least is this. 
The work of God does not depend so much on our ability as it depends on our availability. Jesus didn't sort of get his people all together and get them cleaned up and smack them on the back end and say, come on, go at it. You're set to go. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit. You need power that's beyond anything you can ever generate on your own. And so Paul, remember Paul moaning at the beginning of the sermon? That same Paul can now say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what was true for Paul is true for you. That's because Jesus, from his throne in heaven, and by the ministry of his spirit in your life, enables you to become all he's designed you to be, dot, 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 and be a faithful witness for him. But let's go on. How do, the, uh, how do these crowds try to make sense out of what's going on? Well, look at verses 12 and 13. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean but others? Mocking said, they are simply filled with new wine. People try to make sense out of Pentecost. Some mock what's going on at Pentecost. And the Bible is very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. An unconverted person cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He is unable to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Yeah, Theophilus. Yes, Covenant Church. Yes, church in Turkey. We live in a hostile world. But our confidence is not in our intellectual abilities. It's not in our persuasive speech. It's not in our education. It's not in our social standing. All of those are failing and feeble resources. Our confidence is in the power of God Almighty. Now, we've looked at the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, and we've looked at the impact of his coming. As I was working through this, you know, I thought to myself, there might be somebody here today for whom this is, I don't get it. And so I want to go off topic now, and I want to speak just to you. If you're, in, if you're one of those people who says, I don't get it, um, I, I just want to speak to you and try to fit in what we've just seen with the larger teaching of the Bible. The Bible says that you've been made for a relationship with God. You're made in his image. You're made for a relationship with him. And so uh, an important question to ask is, if you were to die today, it's possible, you know? If you were to die and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? You might say, well, why not? I mean... I've never done anything really so bad, right? 
for, maybe you'd say, uh, why not? I'm not worse than anybody else. Or uh, maybe you'd say, I'll let my track record stand for itself. I don't know what you would say. But imagine that God says, why should I let you, knowing all that I know about you, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, however you might reply, I have some very good news for you. You know what it is? Heaven is a free gift. It is not earned, and it is not deserved. Heaven is a free gift. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Don't get a big head about it. It's not of yourself. It's not by works so that nobody can boast. Well, that heaven must be a free gift comes into a little sharper focus when we realize what the Bible says about people, about man, folks like you and me. What's it say? It says, on the one hand, man's a sinner. Rattle down through the Ten Commandments. Man's a sinner. And secondly, it says he can't save himself. I don't care how much you give to the church, how faithfully you come to the church, how piously you do any other good deeds. You can't be good enough for God because he has said, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. And my guess is if we did a little survey, there's nobody who would say, I'm perfect like God is, right? right. Heaven has to be a gift for another reason. Because of what the Bible says about God. On the one hand, the Bible says that God is just and he must punish our sinfulness. On the other hand, it says that he is loving and he doesn't want to punish anybody. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his wicked way and live. Now, the Bible also says that God has solved the problem of our sin in the person and work of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the eternal God-man. What did he do? He came from heaven to earth to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, which he offers uh, as a free gift. He came from heaven to earth to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, to pay for us so that we could go to heaven, and he offers that as a gift. So Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. I was sharing what I'm telling you right now. I was sharing this with a high school friend a number of years ago. And, uh, Ann said to me, well, so how do I get the gift? That's the great question. How do I get the gift? 
You receive the gift by faith. That's what the Bible says. Well, what is faith? It is not the power of positive thinking. It's not some kind of foxhole uh, type of uh, experience where you say, oh Lord, I'm in a mess, get me out of this mess. If I do, if you get me out, I'll do anything you want me to do. And then you know what happens as soon as the crisis passes? And that's not faith. Saving faith is receiving and resting in Christ to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. There's no other door to eternal life. There's no other door to heaven except through Christ. And so Jesus then dies on the cross for people like you and me. God raises him from the dead. He returns back to heaven. And he's reigning there. And from that place of power, he sends the Holy Spirit to equip the church to do all that he calls the church to do. And he gives this free gift of eternal life to everybody who will trust in him. Now, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what it was like for you when you came in today. But it might be that you're saying, yeah, I want what Jesus offers. I want to be part of God's forever family. This is your opportunity. You say, how can I, how can I get the gift? You can simply pray. Say, Lord, would you please receive me broken, battered, sinful sinner that I am. Would you please receive me for the sake of Jesus? and make me new? Would you make me part of your family? And if you do, he will. That's the promise of the Bible. It says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the authority or the power to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. I'm going to pray now. And if you would like to pray along with me and ask the Lord to make you new from the inside out, please pray silently a prayer like the one I'm going to Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you for paying for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and as my Master. Help me to become the kind of person you want me to be. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you prayed a prayer like that, it doesn't have to be exactly the same words. If you prayed a prayer like that, guess what? You're a person who's welcome at the birthday party that Jesus inaugurated at Pentecost. Lord, bless your word to us, we pray. Change us. Make us new by the power that you have and we don't have. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's stand together and sing one more song. And that song is numbered. 338.